0: Good morning, good morning. Breakfast today is dedicated in honor of Dr. Elliot Astro's mother, Celia Astro, who recently celebrated her 98th birthday, sponsored by Drs. Elliot and Gail Astro and family. She should merit to be able to live a happy and fulfilled life until the age of 120. The story of the parashah is the storyline of the parashah is dominated by one element, by one uh, point, if a person will. And that is the fighting or the positioning. Maybe even the word is the jockeying between Esav and Yaakov for pole position. Each one is trying to achieve, to become in front of the other, trying to be the one that's blessed, trying to be the one that's going to achieve the most in this world. But what's fascinating is that each one of these children was born with a different personality and that personality and type, if you will, which could be used in a positive or in a negative way, dictated in many ways, the outcome of where they would be and how they would think. Yesterday, I spoke about the idea that uh, you have someone who's buying a portion of someone else, buying the Bekhora, buying a Chilek of Ulam And all they're paying for it is a small amount. All they're paying for it is nezid anashim, a little bit of, uh, what's it called? Of uh, beans, uh, lentil soup. How could it be that that, never mind whether or not that was a good deal, like we spoke about yesterday, but how could that work? In fact, there's a question that's asked in halacha, And the question that's asked is, let's say I sell you something. And uh, what's it called? And you purchase that item, or you offer to buy an item. You know it's true value, so you offer to me, you under uh, you make it under an underwhelming offer. I don't know the difference. I sell it to you at what's called less than a stut, which is a, a, a very difficult, very distant amount from the price of the actual object. So if we're kind of around the price, a little couple dollars more, a couple dollars less doesn't make a difference. But how about if I sell you an item and I overcharge you 50 times for the item? You think it's a premium item, it's worth the price, whatever, and actually it's not. That's called ona'ah. And in a case of ona, normally the the uh, the uh, transaction it's invalid, so it doesn't go. So the question is, the value of Esav's bichora is so valuable. How could it be that he sold it for nizid anashim? How could it be that it went through? How could it be that the kinyan actually happened? And the mifarshim says something. The ba'aflaah explains it in the in the following way. He says that there was once a person who did shahita on a chicken and uh before he had a chance to do the misvah, now there's a misvah after a person does shahita to cover the blood it's called kisui hadam. you cover up the blood of the animal ki adamu a nefesh because the nefesh the soul of that living animal was is in the blood so to show it that respect in judaism although we hold that a person is allowed to eat or consume meat or chicken or whatever but we still need to show it respect that's why the process of the of the shahita is uh, is has to be very as humane as possible as it can possibly be the knife needs to be perfectly sharp there can't be any pressure in the shahita that's called dirisa okay so there's lots of laws about it you cover up the blood so this guy he sees the guy doing shahita and he comes and he covers up the blood before he has a chance to do it you stole my miswa comes Rabban Gamliel Rabban Gamliel says to the person you have to pay him Asara Zihuvin. in fact this is a halakha that if a person takes the mitzvah of somebody else I have a mitzvah to do you come along and you grab it someone comes to me and says uh, I really like uh, Sedaqah you reach it in your pocket you're about to give him a dollar the other guy comes gives him a dollar the guy says thank you very much that's what he needed if he takes another one fine but that's all he needed he stole my mitzvah I was about to do it the halakha is you have to pay him Asara zehuvim. But maybe according to the hafla'ah, that's not really the case. Because the hafla'ah asks, I don't understand. What do you mean you're paying me ten zehuvim, ten golden coins, for my, uh, my mitzvah? What's the value of my mitzvah? on mabah? is tremendous. How could you pay me a smaller amount than what it's worth? It says the ba'al hafla'ah, Rabban Gamliel wasn't saying that the value of the mitzvah was ten zehuvim. Rabban Gamliel was offering a litmus test. He asked the guy who lost the, the mitzvah, he says in front of him, pay him 10 ziluvim. If the guy says, okay, that means that the mitzvah is worth how much? 10 ziluvim. What would have happened if he would have said no? The guy would have had to pay him 20, 100, 1,000, because really the merit of even one mitzvah on Ulam Abay is priceless. He would have been obligated, in order to do Teshuvah, to pay him any amount that the person would have declared that mitzvah to be worth. The minute you say, okay, I'll take 10 Zehuvim for it, what are you saying? You're defining the way you feel the value of the mitzvah actually is. Think about it this way. Let's say a person would never break their word, but the contract was for $500,000. And they say, you know what? I did say it, but I didn't shake. I did shake, but I didn't sign. I did sign, but I didn't sign in triplicate, etc., etc. Then we know that for this person, the value of honesty is five hundred thousand dollars. That's what he can be bought for. Okay. So in this instance, Rabban Gamliel was just testing the waters. That's what the Haflaah says. Now this is a tremendous, incredibly important. Uh, development in the halachic ramifications of the story because when we always say a person is obligated 10 zeuvim for stealing a mitzvah and we prove it from this gemara according to the hafla'ah that's not true it's only that that person said yes. If I'd say twenty, you'd have to pay twenty. If I said thirty, you'd have to pay thirty. Or you could just say, "I can't afford it. I'm an honest, and therefore I have to pray and beg your forgiveness until you forgi- until you forgive uh, until you forgive the outcome." But Rabotai, of therefore, in this case, says the hafla'a, when Esav walks in the door and Esav says, "Give me from that nizidarashim," and Yaakov says, "I'll buy you bichora for it." In that moment, that Esav says. Okay, he just defined the nizid anashim as being more valuable to him than the bikhura So at that second, what happens? He put a price tag on it. What was the price tag? Nizid anashim. So now that I've paid that, it's not that I've bought something that's more valuable, because it might be more valuable objectively. But subjectively, I've declared this object to be worthless to me. Let me give you an interesting example. What would happen in a case of ona'a, where a person comes and says, I'd like to buy this watch for $10. The watch is worth $100. If we, then we exchange hands, what would be the halakha? The object would go back because that's called ona'a. I've uh, underpaid something for by such a big discrepancy, it would go back. How about if I say, I'll pay you $10. The guy says, you know, this watch is worth $100, but to me, it reminds me of a very difficult, sad story, difficult time of my life. Even if, uh, what's it called? You paid me, I was never going to wear it. I just want to get rid of it. I'm happy to get whatever I can for it. In that scenario, the value of the watch for him is $10. There would not be on the because the person is telling you that to me this watch is not worth that, even if I could get it in the marketplace. So too over here with Essa. Now, the reason why I bring this up is not to find a discrepancy of value um, between Esav's perspective and Yaakov's perspective, but rather to draw attention to the way within which Esav-type people make decisions and Yaakov-type people make decisions. So let's describe where we find that in the names of the people themselves. The name of Esav comes from the word Asui, made. What does it mean, made? He came out, already had all of his hair. He was very, you know, he, was, he was a finished product, so to speak, as a baby boy. That's just not a description about his hair. It's a description about the way his life's philosophy would be. I'm someone, I'm already done. I judge things right now. I'm finished. I'm not engaging. I'm not looking at the ramifications <laughs> or how this is going to turn out. Yaakov is called... Yaakov because he's named after Eke, the heel. So in English, we have an expression. We say something comes on the heels of something else. What does that mean, on the heels of? It means, even in Hebrew, we would say something is bi-ikvot. Something comes because of. It's the outcome, the ramification, the effect of a certain cause. Yaakov is someone who's always looking at what's going to happen because of this. Esav is looking at what's going on right now. I'm done, I'm perfect, I don't need to think about tomorrow. There are people like that who are impetuous, who are impulsive. They only think about right now what's going on in this space right here. And let me prove it to you. You see, you look at Esav and you think to this guy, wow, what a rasha mirusha, He's willing to sell his bichora for a little bit of soup. Rabu'tai, I don't think that's the full picture of Esav. It's not that Esav didn't value it. It was in that moment... Esav only ever thinks about the split second in which he's living. That's the point. How do I know that? Because later on, when the biracha is stolen from Esav, what does Esav say? Look, he ripped me off two times. Once he took my biracha, once he took my bichora, rabotai. If he thought that the bichora was worth... The amount of the al-Hashim, like I said to you earlier, what's he complaining about? Yaakov didn't trick him. That's how much he wanted to sell it for. That's how much he got. He got his asking price. No, in that second, that was his asking price, and that's why the mechira, the sale, was actually valid. But Esav is not a person that doesn't, that doesn't appreciate the bichora. Esav is just a person that places a higher premium on the way he's feeling in that second then whatever's gonna come later. If you could imagine the candy called now and laters, now and laters is Yaakov and Esav. One is Ekeb, what's coming next. One is Esav, I'm done, I'm already made. Let me look at only what's going on right now. And I think that there's something here which is very, very interesting. We have at the end of the parashah a very interesting decision made by Esav. Esav marries a bunch of women. And are these women that he brings into the house of Yitzhak and, and Rivkah Cause them tremendous pain. Who are they? He brings in all of these people. They're all, all worshipping Abu Zarah. According to one opinion, Yitzhak's eyesight deteriorated because of all of the smoke in the house of the korbanot that they were bringing to Abu Zarah. Okay? So the, the, his parents are terribly distraught. Towards the end of his li- uh, of of their lives, right? What does Esav do? He realizes his parents, especially his father, he doesn't really care so much about his mom, but he cares about kibud av. He's got. What does Esav do? Esav says, "You know what? I'm going to take this uh, new wife." What is this new wife he's going to take in order to kind of make them feel a little bit better? He takes this new wife, and this new wife is supposed to be a little bit better than the one that he's got, and that's going to that's supposed to make his parents. Happy. Okay. Now, I, I, I thought to myself, that's a very strange thing. He saw that his wives, you know, they were very upsetting to his to his father. Like I told you, Aviv, not his mother. Esav goes to Ishmael. And he takes the daughter of Ishmael, Ben Abraham, the son of Abraham, Ahot nevayot, son of a uh, sister of Neviot, Al Nashav Loli on top of all of his other wives, he takes this woman to be uh, his new wife. Now, why is he doing that? Ostensibly, because he feels like, you know what, I'm going to make them happy. I'll, I'll take this wife. Rabbi if ever there was an example of now versus later, this is going to got to be the example. <clears throat> you know that there's a decision that you made that's bothering your parents. What's the decision? That you have a bunch of wives here worshiping Abu Zarah. You want to make good on that decision. So what do you do? You take on top of all those other wives that are still worshipping Abu Zarah, another wife that doesn't worship Abu Zarah. Is there less smoke of Abu Zarah in the house now? No. But this decision, it's so typical of that type of a person. Someone who hurts your feelings, hurts your feelings, hurts your feelings, hurts your feelings. And then what do they do? They come and they bore you. They bought you lunch. And you, they walk in after stealing your money, after making you feel like an idiot, after embarrassing you in front of everybody. They come in with a piece of pizza, an extra piece of pizza. They say, Oh, yeah, have some pizza. you like, Seriously, pizza? This is how you want to. And the guy turns around and he calls the family members. He's like, Look, I tried to make shalom. I walked in, I brought him lunch, and he rejects me, turns me away. Dibbeh, mihila. Idiot. The problem isn't the pizza. The problem is all those other things, but a person who lives in the now, for them, all those other things that I did before, I'm not thinking about them. You shouldn't be thinking about them. Look at this. I came with lunch. Lunch should solve all the problems. That's Esav. Do you understand? I'm right here. Don't talk to me about what happened before. Don't talk to me about the ramific- the future ramifications of my actions. I'm not going to divorce these people or start a new life. I'm just going to do something in the short term, in the here and now, to shut you up. Rabotai, that is the nature of Esad. And it belongs to every single person, the ability to try and make decisions in this manner, a decision where they think about the long-term versus the short-term. I remember reading a story, and it made such an impression on me. I told it to you guys last year. It made such an impression on me. Rabinaman talks about this unbelievable story, just because I could imagine it happening. There's a guy who decides he wants to build a massive house. Unfortunately, he decides he wants to build a massive house on the Upper East Side. Where are you going to build a massive house on the Upper East Side? You can't find space to build a giant ranch on, you know, a massive five-story house with a swimming pool and a tennis court. Where are you going to build it? So the guy goes to the mayor of New York City and he says, listen, I want to build a house. It can't be too far from my favorite synagogue. It can't be too far from my favorite gym. It can't be too far from my favorite coffee house. Right, clearly, he doesn't like Starbucks, because if it was Starbucks, he could put it anywhere. Can't be too far from my favorite Kiyoviya. I want to build my house. And the guy says, the mayor says, Rohi, I love you, but what are we going to do? The guy says, no, I'm going to donate money to the hospitals. He says, okay, but I can't. He goes, but I'll donate money to the, to the Central Park. I'll donate money to that. The mayor says, Rohi, I don't know what you want from my life. I don't have space to give you to build the giant mansion. We you know on the Upper East Side the guy The guy says, listen, I have a great idea. He says... My synagogue is the Safra Synagogue 63rd and 5th Avenue, right? It's not so far, if I do straight shot down 63rd, I'm going to go to the East River, I'll wait until the river freezes over in the middle of the winter, and then I'll get a crew that'll come in, and they'll build it on the river. The man says, you can't build the river house on the river. The guy says, listen, it's frozen. When the water freezes, you know now hard, you know now strong ices, I'm going to build it on the ice. The mayor is trying to explain to him that that's a very stupid plan, but the guy, sometimes a the person, they say has more dollars than cents, right? Mm-hmm. He has more you know, more money than brains, but the guy says, listen, no, it's fine. It's going to be great. I'm going to build it. the All I need, he says, is a permit. The mayor says, I don't want it. He says, but the hospitals, but the park, he says, listen, you want to build it, build whoever you want. Bottom line. If the house sinks. You know, you're not going to hurt anybody else that's going to sink directly into the river. You know, build it whatever you want, you have a permit from me, you give all this money to charity, but I'm taking no responsibility whatsoever for the result. The guy waits, the house, the river freezes over. He brings in workers, everyone's watching the spectacle of this guy, absolute moron. He builds a giant house on the river, it looks magnificent. There are people taking pictures, the Guinness Book of World Records, everyone's coming. His children are ice skating on the ice. They skate right into the living room, right into the dining room. Unbelievable, magnificent house. And Hada is the only guy in Manhattan. He has no problem with neighbors. Right? Beautiful. Two days, three days, four days, five days go by. A week goes by. He's loving it. And then December turns to January. And January turns to February. February turns to March. The guy is a particularly cold New York winter. manages to survive the whole winter in this beautiful house comes the the first thawings of spring the ice cracks and within a matter of minutes the guy's house rahit no more everybody looks at this guy and they think he's absolutely crazy absolutely nuts how could he do such a thing why would he waste so much money why but the truth is when we invest in things that are giving us temporary pleasure that's what we're doing so when a person is willing to do a lot of things for right now but doesn't think about the future ramifications that's what they're doing when a person is too obsessed with olam Azeh, that's what he's doing in fact the story with the Hafez Haim illustrates this more than anything else that I know a man came many 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 miles to visit the Hafez Hayim he walks into his house, he looks at the havetz haim, and I'm sure he was American, because only an American would be. He said, that's it? <laughs> the havetz haim says, what do you mean? He says, this is it? This is the whole house? He says, yeah. He says, I can't believe it. Where's the furniture? Where's the, I thought you were a special hashub guy. What kind of, you know, a little thing over here, a chair on the floor, dirt floors. Havetz haim says to him, he says, listen, I, I, you know, I hear your point, but uh, this is not... This is not uh, so. It's not so important to me. The guy says, "Yeah, but still, I don't understand." The big gadol, this is your house. I can't believe it. The guy, the Hafez chaim, says to me, "He goes, look, I, I, I guess, I guess, I, uh, I don't really have a good answer for you." He says, "But do me a favor," he says. Um, I'm wondering, he says, where your couch is, and where your dining room, shh, where your dining room table is. Where's your mattresses? Where's your walk-in closet? The guy says Chaim, are you crazy? He goes, I'm only passing through. I don't have a couch with me and a dining room table and a walk-in closet. I'm traveling. I'm only passing through. I came to visit you. That's why I don't have it. Chavetz Chaim looks at him with a kind smile and he says, Rohi, I'm also only passing through. You want to know where my couch is? I don't have a couch. I don't have a fancy table. I don't have it. Because how many years am I going to be here? And if I live as long as uh, Mrs. Celia Astro, I'm going to live to be 120. But even 120 years, as compared to a, a thousand, a million, a billion years, the Neshama Rabotai lives forever. Could you imagine what forever means? I just want to give you an example of what forever means. Imagine I filled this whole room with grains of sand, each grain from the beach. How many pieces of sand floor to ceiling you think I could fit in this room? A million, a billion, a trillion. Now imagine if each grain of sand represented not one year but each grain of sand represented a trillion years. A trillion grains of sand representing each a trillion years, a trillion, trillion years, that's still not as long as the existence of your neshama. It's forever. It doesn't end. There isn't an expiration date on the uh, on the concept of Gan Eden, of, of Olam Hava, of the eternality of your soul. One hundred and twenty years as compared to a billion years is like that. To a trillion years is half a snap. To a trillion, trillion years, it doesn't even register. It's the tiniest blip that you can't even see on a radar screen. But think about how much of eternity we sacrifice for a split second of pleasure. A split second of revenge. A split second. If someone told you, here's poison, it's poison, it will kill you, but it tastes delicious. Is there a person here amongst us that would say, oh, I'll have that? That's what an avon is. That's an esav decision. It tastes delicious. It's a little bit of lentil soup. And it's a nice cold day. I'm going to feel great for two seconds when I have it. I'm going to feel two sec- great two seconds when there's a lack of being faithful. I'm going to feel great for two seconds when I stole some money. I'm going to feel great two seconds when I had food that wasn't kosher. What happens after ten minutes later when it's not kosher? And you know you should have eaten it. You're going to go to the bathroom, it's out of your system. Was that worth it? Now versus later. May God bless us, always to be able to make the right decisions and to feel great, not just now about the decisions, but forever and ever and ever. Baruch Adonai, Leolam, Amen, Rabotai, every Friday,